This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, in just a moment, we're going to jump into God's Word. I can't help but reflect back on um, Memorial Day and what it means. Uh, You know, sometimes we underestimate what a big impact the celebration of Memorial Day can make on our children. Uh, I read about a little boy who was in church, and uh, after the Memorial Day kind of service, he was standing in front of one of those large plaques that some of the big old churches have. And across the top of the plaque, uh, it said, you know, names of those who died in the service. And, you know, the little boy's looking at that. Pastor walked up, and he said, uh, you know, Gregory, what are you looking at? He says, well, I'm not sure. What does that mean? He goes, well, those are all the, those are all the young men that, that died in the service. He's quiet for a moment. That happened in the 9 o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service? <laughs> so, yeah, we want to make sure that we explain things. Well, hey, we're in the study of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 10 again. And uh, so if, uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to grab it. Uh, one soul at a time. So, yeah, by the time we're done today, we're going to talk a little bit about temptation and, uh, and hopefully gain a perspective that uh, T6 Enterprises is well aware of. They would just prefer that we not pay attention to it. So uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, and as we do that, let me just lead us in a word of prayer. Mm-hmm. Father God, we've laughed at this little video, but the truth is the enemy is at work, trying to distract and trying to tempt, and uh, we acknowledge that, and as we look at your word today, and as the Apostle Paul uh, gets the chance to speak to us as he speaks to the Corinthians, I pray that your spirit would speak to us. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and minds, and that, uh, that we would begin to know a new sense of victory, the victory that is possible because of the provision that you make for us. So speak to us now. May my words be your words, so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Well, last week we only made it through half of a sermon. It's, it's kind of a, you know, a little embarrassing when, when half of my sermon takes us like the whole sermon time. I realize some of you have been telling me that, and uh, so today we get to finish up on the second half. But I want to remind you that last time we talked a little bit as, as Paul was kind of getting into 1 Corinthians 10, remember he's been talking to them about how to get them all on the same page. They're all so full of uh, division and pushing their own agenda, their own preferences. It's all this individualism, and uh, he's been challenging them about how to get back on God's mission what Jesus had planted the church there to do in the first place. So starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, we read this. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea, that they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Paul has been making a point to these Corinthians. He's saying that there are good reasons to not exercise your rights. Uh, 
the question they asked him about was meat offered to idols. And, and he answered, he said, look, we all know that idols are nothing, and, and just because a piece of meat sits in front of an idol, it means nothing to you as a Christian. Of course you're free to eat it. However, there are lots of good reasons that we may not want to exercise the freedoms that we have. And so he begins to unpack some of those reasons. He says you could cause another weaker brother to stumble. Or you may miss an opportunity to be even more effective in sharing the gospel. And he said that one of the things that he employs to be effective at this is, is a sense of self-discipline. He actually is willing, he's been training himself to say no to things that are perfectly okay. But he's able to say no because there's a better good to be won. Well, as he was talking about self-discipline, he's now launched into this kind of a, a reminder of what can happen when there is a lack of discipline. In fact, what he's going to be saying is, uh, be careful. Just because you have freedom and just because you think you know how all this all works, be careful. Because without, without some intentionality, without self-discipline, no matter how many blessings you know, no matter, no matter how many scriptures you know, no matter how many years you've been a disciple of Jesus, you can stumble and be disqualified. And so as an example of someone or a group that was lacking in self-discipline, he's going to talk about Israel. And what he's saying is, look, we've all, we all know the story. They're all kind of our, our, our ancestors. And he unpacks some of the blessings that they enjoyed. <coughs> He says they all were in the cloud, and we talked about what that meant, the fact that as they left Egypt through the wilderness, they followed a cloud that gave them shade and guidance, a pillar of fire by night. They all passed through the sea, speaking of their deliverance. Remember, they were leaving, and the, 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 the charioteers from, from Egypt were washed away. They walked through on dry land. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. That in the midst of all that, they weren't just wandering. God gave them a leader to speak to them and to be their patron and their protector, since they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Remember, they're out in the desert. You had nothing to eat. God provided food every day. There was no water, and, and Moses spoke to the walk, rock or tapped the rock, and the water just came out. Like, all these amazing blessings. I'm going to guess that if, if you were accustomed to, you know, porterhouse steaks showing up on your front porch every day because you pray, Right? That after a while, begin, you would begin to feel like, wow, God's really in my corner. Your neighbors would wonder, what's your connection? What's your secret? They were blessed. Even though they were blessed, they failed. In fact, what we read is that in spite of all of that, God wasn't pleased with them. <laughs> in fact, they all died except for two. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And so we unpacked what that meant just at the beginning last week. Now remember, they didn't lose their salvation. Because they failed, they didn't go to hell. The idea is that they didn't succeed in their mission. Their mission was to go into the promised land and set up a new nation. But because they were undisciplined, because they were smug and thought, well, I know it, I know, I know it all, I got it figured out. I know how to play and work this game. I know how to work the system. And they were actually disqualified. So we began last week by talking about Israel's failures. In verse 6, 
He's clear that all of this is listed so that we would learn something from it. This isn't gossip. This isn't just so we could bash on Israel. We're supposed to be paying attention and learning something. So he said that we ought to be careful not to be idolaters like they were. And we looked at the passage briefly last week. You remember the story. Moses goes up to get the, the law. And when he comes down, he finds Israel dancing around idols and fornicating and worshiping this idol. And we, we laughed about Aaron. You know, you know I threw the, the gold in and a calf came out. I don't know how it happened. And we admitted that none of us are probably tempted to worship little, little statues. And yet the scripture is really clear that that greed is idolatry. And that, by definition, anything that we put over God in our lives, anything that is a higher priority, that becomes an idol. And it includes prosperity. It, it includes security. It includes love and comfort. Being seen as a success. You see, we're trained that all of those things we are entitled to as Americans... And I think what Paul would say is, be careful. Those things can become idols before you even realize it. So we looked at the fact that Jesus talked about idolatry. Colossians talks about idolatry. The next failure was sexual immorality. We don't think we know much about idolatry. We definitely know a lot about sexual immorality. It's rampant all over in our culture. It's, in fact, it's hard to know what is not allowed anymore. But the truth of the matter is that Israel, despite all of the blessings they had and all of the comforts and all the provisions, instead they still had to go outside God's provision looking for happiness and meaning. He said, don't test the Lord like some of them did and they were killed by snakes. And we talked a little bit about that passage. But the idea of testing the Lord, the idea was simply that no matter what he did, no matter what he provided for them, it was never enough. Well, that's, that's nice, God, but what about, how about, couldn't I? And, and the truth is, it was just never done. And they kept complaining and they kept whining. Like, it could be better. It still could be better. I haven't won the lottery yet. You know, I, I mean, I want to. And, and at some point, God said, that's it, and sent snakes. And, of course, we saw that great passage in John uh, where Jesus says that just as the, Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. That, that, that idea that the way of healing and protection and, and deliverance was to look at what God had provided. Testing the Lord. And we ended last week by saying maybe one of the ways we test the Lord is we keep hearing the gospel thinking, you know, I'll, I'll respond someday. I don't have to do that now. Or perhaps we test the Lord when we keep saying, I, I know I kind of got to get my life together for the Lord. I know I got to stop dabbling in all this other stuff. I, I, I mean, I know, I know, and I will. I, I intend to. I'm going to someday. And the Lord keeps sending conviction and sending conviction and sending conviction. And I wonder how similar we are when we just keep putting it off. How similar are we? to those who kept testing the Lord. Well, now we're going to jump in where we left off last week. And the last, the, the last failure that he talks about is their grumblings. Look at verse 10. And he says, And do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. Grumbling. 
Do you have a problem with grumbling? Everything's good, right? Have you noticed that the more we have, the easier it is to be discontent? I remember the first time I sat in a car that had seat warmers. It sounded ridiculous to me. Every time I got in the car, within a few minutes, my seat was warm. <laughs> What's the big deal? Till I got in one. Oh. oh, this is amazing. And now the car I drive does not. Cold as ice. Very inhospitable, right? And before you know it, I'm driving while I'm driving. <clears throat> it is so easy to grumble. In fact, I wonder if maybe we couldn't tell what you're grumbling about these days by looking at what the last blessing is that God sent. I'm convicted. My neighbor gave me a, a John Deere tractor for free. He gave me a John Deere tractor for free. How can, how can you grumble about that? Now, if you've seen me, I mean, it's one of those ones where you ride like this. Like my... It happened just the other day. I was cutting the lawn, and my neighbor went by, I waved, and my neighbor, she's so funny, she says, you look so big on that. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's how you sit, like this. The, the steering wheel comes right between your legs. You're like, like a go-kart. This is not for the sake of illustration. I mean it. I sat there going, hmm, I almost wanted to go park the thing. <laughs> then I caught myself. <laughs> I'm riding on my free John Deere tractor, and I'm complaining. Walk past Lowe's. Look at those things. They're beautiful. It happens to all of us. And yet, even as we say that, if we're not careful, we give each other permission. Oh, that's normal. It's also dangerous. Look at Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. After everything the Lord had done, they're ready to pick up and go home to Egypt. Verse 20. And the Lord replied, because Moses, Moses goes to the Lord and goes, please, please do not strike them all again. You said you love them. You know, please show mercy. And the Lord says, I've forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it.
which God is speaking? Is that the God of love and grace? Or is it that mean, grumpy God? Or is there just one God? And is it true that perhaps the God who loves us and shows grace also knows and feels this? And that it is possible for him, oh, not to send us hurtling into hell, but to simply say, I am done with you. You have pushed me for the last time. You cannot keep playing and expect me to keep looking away. No more. Now, what does no more mean? I don't know. It's pretty clear that he's not sending people to hell because the work that Jesus did on the cross pays for our sin. But let me ask you, have you been enjoying God's blessing? Has he been protecting you, perhaps? Maybe he's been sustaining you? Maybe he's even used you to minister to others. Are you enjoying that? Would you notice if he said, that's it, I'm done? I'm no longer in your corner? You're on your own, Mike. Is that a terrifying thought? Oh, I forgive you, and I love you, but I'm not helping you anymore. Are, you, you thought life was a little rough now. What, a, what an arresting thought. Which is exactly why Paul says again in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And then he says this. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. What does that mean? So if you think you were standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Who, who do you... Who is it that he's describing? I mean, he, he was looking at Israel... Now he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, this was written as a warning, so if you think you are standing firm. What does he mean? Who are those who think they're standing firm? He's writing to Corinth, so they must be Corinthians. Who in Corinth is it? that would be tempted to think they're standing firm. How many of them are full of knowledge? They know the scriptures. They know what Jesus taught. They know what Paul taught them. They're deep thinkers. They're, they're, and, and we know, we know, we don't like, oh, we don't like it, whatever. Who is it that's tempted to think that they're standing firm? I'm good. I'm good. Because what? Because of what they know, what they claim to be true? Be careful that you don't fall. What's he referring to there? 
Remember, earlier Paul was saying that he buffeted his body and he disciplined himself so that he himself wouldn't be disqualified. What can we today, as believers, is it possible for us to be dis- disqualified? I mean, after all, Jesus loves us and he forgives us just by faith and he shows grace, so everything's good. Is disqualification really a possibility for us? And if so, what does it look like? Now, I'm just going to invite you to do what I have to do. Search inside me. Am I positive this doesn't refer to me? How, how could it? What would that mean? Is it when I say something like, well, I, I, I know better than that, but... Is it when I say to myself... I, I know God could help me stop whenever I need, I, when I really, I could stop. I could stop. I mean, I'm certain of that. I could stop. I'm, I'm under grace. I might lose a few rewards, but, you know, I mean, what else could God do? The truth is, I'm not as spiritual as some of those other ones, you know, but, but, but I'm saved. I mean, I mean, and so... I'm not, I'm not preaching this to you, brothers and sisters. I have to read this and ask myself, so if, Mike, you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And in the context, what is the description, the definition of fall? It's exactly what we saw in Israel. That despite God's communication with them, despite his faithfulness in providing for them, despite his love and protection of them, despite the demonstration of his power in delivering them and his promise for the future, in spite of all of that, it seems as though as soon as they had half a chance, they turned away again and again And again, and God still kept his promise, but none of them got to live to see it. If you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, your eternal destiny is not in danger. But you do have to ask yourself, If you've put your faith in Jesus and you are dabbling with all the same stuff just like Israel did, thinking somehow God is locked into a contract, please be reminded, he promised to take you to heaven, but he could take you today. He could say, you're not helping me a bit, Mike. You are just muddying the water for me. I wanted to use you. I wanted you to get to know me better. I wanted you to demonstrate my power through your weakness. I had great plans, but you know, not so much. I'm done. Are you and I really 
positive that there is no danger that God could not just put us on a shelf and say, I am done trying with you. Grace was never intended to make it so sloppy that we can kind of live anything. Like, oh, well, God's happy with whatever I bring him. Those of you who think you stand, be careful that you don't fall. Do you know a believer who's fallen back into addiction? Fallen back into habitual sin? Any of us can stumble. Do you know a believer who seems to have cooled spiritually? I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Do you know someone who used to show up for church, used to be faithful, used to be involved now? You know, there's always something and whatever. Are, are, are you feeling that? Am I feeling? Be careful when you think you're standing firm that you do not fall. Paul says the only way that he was able to maintain that was to exercise discipline. He beat his body, not physically. He made it it's his servant. He made sure that what Jesus wanted came first. So right about here, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling really uneasy. Because... I am not sure that I'm standing that firm. And I'm beginning to realize that I may not be in danger of falling. I may be in the process of falling. And then Paul says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Okay, because just for a minute there, I was think, thinking I was the worst piece of meat on this planet. And now comes this word of encouragement. He says, oh, I, I know what the temptation is. And he wants us to know that that thing that you're struggling with right now, it's just like what everybody else is struggling with. It's common. Temptation is common. Everybody has their flavor. Everyone's temptation is unique, and yet that's common for all of us. There is nobody here that's got you trumped. Any of us could fall into the same trap. So it's common. In James 1, we read this about temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been struggling with something? And you, and you look at me and say, God, how come? Why? Help! Right? As though he's the one sending it. He says, don't get confused. This is not God not being on your side just because you're tempted. Tempting, temptation happens to everyone. It's common to everyone. At least anyone who drives on the school school. <laughs> or flies commercially, or works for a living, or has neighbors, or tries to grow grass. 
I mean, you know, it's... <sighs> when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Get that straight. It's not coming from him. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Ah, that's where it starts. That desire on the inside. You, you know what that feels like, right? You know what that feels like. And it has this certain kind of, almost like, like some guy in a suit whispering in your ear, right? Nobody's going to really care. You've been working like crazy. You're entitled to a little break. They don't pay you enough as it is. I don't think he's listening. And that evil desire begins to entice. So then after desire is conceived, it plops, it shows up in our, in our hearts, and we're like, huh, y y yeah, you know, I, I do work hard. I mean, and, it, and it says it gives birth to sin. By golly, I do deserve better. And they don't understand. And you know what? And I, I, and they, and I, and before you know it, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. God's purpose when, when we are tested is not to tempt us to fail. I mean, think about it. Why do we give tests? Now, don't, it depends. If, if you've ever been in any kind of a teaching setting, you tend to see them as good things. But the rest of us who are just students, they're evil. Okay? Tests are evil. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what setting, a test is just an opportunity to say, let's see if you got it. I remember one of my favorite college professors had this principle. He basically said, you can take my tests as often as you want until you get 100%. I'm not trying to trick you. I don't want you to guess, like, oh, what is and isn't on a test. I just want you to know everything that's on a test. And I used to love that. You take it the first time and second time and third time, you lock that baby in. God says, what I'm trying to do is I want to make sure that you know what you've learned or what you haven't. That's the purpose of testing. Temptation is what we turn it into. When we begin to become enticed, we're hooked. It's almost like language like fishing or trapping. It just catches us by the cheek and begins to reel us in. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever feel that temptation tugging? Oh, it's easy when we think about addictions, you know, those things that just keep calling to us. But it's not just substances. It can be certain relationships or certain ways of re responding to others or needing others. Feelings that well up. Thoughts that pour through our mind. And before you know it, we start to feel it siren call. And we have to remember what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10. There isn't a temptation that's unique. It's common Everyone around you is having the same experience. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And here's the promise. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. <laughs> You're thinking, well, he and I have different opinions of what I can bear. And yet, if, if, can we be honest? Can we talk for a minute? 
The truth is, your idea of how much you can bear would be zip, nothing. I mean, I say it all the time. It sounds like such a spiritual thing. You know, if I could push a button and suddenly be completely transformed for God, I would do it. Well, of course I would, you wimp. It's kind of like saying, if I could just drink one, one protein shake and, and look like Pastor Nick or whatever. I mean, like, I mean, right? 22 push-ups. <laughs> Thanks so much. Boy, if I could, oh, what is that? That's, we're supposed to be impressed? If I could just push a button and be physically fit, I would. Oh, well. What, you get a prize for that? Of course you would. No, see, there's only one way to get fit. There's only one way to get financially stable. There's only one way to have healthy relationships. And there's only one way to become the man or woman God wants you to be. It's that step-by-step interacting with the challenges, facing our failures, seeking his assistance, and then adopting and accommodating his answer. You don't understand I don't do it all the time. Have you done it ever? That would be a good step. Try it once. I did. I, I had half a salad. <laughs> All right. When are you going to eat the other half? Oh. I mean, you know, I've started buying smaller bags of chips. <laughs> he is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. If you believe that, if you don't believe it, you say, you throw your hands up and you say, oh, no, 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 and you say, you know what? But if you believe that that's true, even for a moment, he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. If you believe that, even for a moment, as soon as you sense temptation, you will begin looking for what? His way out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? God, help me, help me, send something. I don't know where it is. Where's the way out? Because I don't want to do this. God, you know I don't want to do this. I always stumble with this. He says he will provide a way out so that you are able to endure it. Are you being tempted? Is some temptation eating your lunch? And you're tempted to think, you don't understand. I've failed with this so many times. It's just automatic. I don't think there's hope for me. I want to just tell you that God says, there's more than hope for you. There is a way out. His way works. Okay, well, then the problem is me. I just haven't done it right. Okay? You know what that means? Is that that's all that has to happen? Is that God has to change you a little bit? He can do that. I just need to know what the way out is. I guarantee that the way out is not as painless as you might hope. But it's there. Is it possible that you know exactly what the way out is? You just haven't chosen it because actually it doesn't look all that pleasant. What is the way of escape? If you're being tempted these days, what is the way of escape that God has been providing? You might even, now that you stop and think about it, you might even go, I, actually, I kind of sort of knew what it was. 
It might start with just being honest with somebody. Just letting someone that you trust spiritually know what's going on. That's basically what James says in James 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you don't understand. I mean, I'm not going to, the whole point is, I mean, I shouldn't be doing this. I, would, I, don't, I shouldn't be sharing it with people. Yes, you should. What are they going to think of me? I, I, I can tell you what they're going to think of you. They are going to think you are just like them. And when somebody comes to you and begins to tell you, they're barely going to get it out of their mouth. You're going to say, but, 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 I don't want you to think I'm perfect. I have struggles too. I figured that. Well, now that we got that out of the way, what exactly is going on? When does this happen? What helps? What are we going to do? Let's pray together. By the way, next time that happens, will you call me? Will you text me? I'll never forget. A young student of mine, Christopher, uh, handsome African-American guy, raised in Philadelphia. When he came to Bible college, how do I put this delicately? He was a ladies' man. Okay? Now, I mean, he was a good-looking guy, but it was inexplicable. Okay? Girls would just throw themselves at him. It was, I'm not kidding. I I saw a freshman orientation, and these girls were just like all, I mean, and you could tell he was used to it. He was suave and cool and chill. He loved the Lord. I remember he came to me, Pastor Hobb, you got to help me. Like, I don't want to act like that. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to struggle in my mind. I need help. Okay. And we began to meet. I remember the look on his face when we met with some other student leaders. And the student leaders started talking about their struggles. And his jaw dropped. You guys struggle with this? (laughs) What planet are you from? You see, he was convinced it was just him. Not so much, buddy. You're nothing special. Actually, that was part of the lie, right? Oh, he was something special. We found out was, actually, he wasn't. I remember one day, I was in the middle of something going on, and he popped his head in because the rule was if a guy was struggling, they would actually come right to my office, help, and they would kind of check in. Since we were right on campus, it wasn't hard. And I remember in the middle of the day, we're doing something, and he pops in, and he's like, I'm like, oh, I, what, what's going on? He says, I'm really struggling. Okay, okay uh, I, I got to finish with this, and then I'll get with you. And he goes, no, I got to go to class, and he left. And I remember I felt so terrible. Oh, man, I wasn't there for him. Later, I saw him later in the day. Hey, 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 how are you? I'm good. Well, earlier you weren't good. No, but I, I didn't have a chance to talk to you. I couldn't help. Like, what happened? And he goes, oh, I was better. The minute I told you I was better. And he said this. He goes, something about telling you that I'm tempted ruins it. <laughs> Just takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> wow. I wonder if that's possibly true for what you're struggling with. I wonder if telling someone in the midst of a struggle won't take some of the fun out of it. James says that's exactly what will happen. The real question is, Are we going to give each other, continue to give each other permission 
to live so sloppily for Jesus. Oh, I'm not judging you. I don't know, I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm just talking to me. And yet, Paul would say, come on, pull it together. Exercise some discipline. Focus on what's important, what's eternal. After all, just because you think you stand doesn't mean you can't fall. And in this context, falling doesn't mean, oh, I stumbled. It means God saying, you know what? I think I'm done with you. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's absolutely unnecessary because he has provided a way out. He ends this whole section and really bridges into the next section. The, the issue was idolatry, meat offered to idols, what's more important than Jesus? Verse 14, he simply says, flee this stuff. And so I say to you as my brothers and sisters, is there something that you want to be done with? Me too. He's provided a way of escape. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what you're going through is not all that unique? I love it. People come to see me. I've got to tell you something, and this is going to shock you. Probably not. <laughs> Sometimes I'll finish the sentence, and then this happened and that happened. Oh, yes! Like I've got, like, no, it, 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 it's just like everybody else. We think it's so unique. Not so much. And that's supposed to encourage us. Is it possible that the person sitting next to you, who's actually currently having some increased victory, is it possible that they struggled just as much as you, and yet they found victory? It is. They're a much better person than you? Probably not. But they were able to access the way of escape. And I'm going to predict, if you could do that, you'd have the same level of victory. Do you believe that? Is it worth taking a chance and pursuing? Isn't it good to know that there is nothing that's going to happen to any of us that isn't common? And with that temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you can bear up under it and have victory. That's his hope for us. That's my hope for us. Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, all of this is kind of wasted on you. The first thing we would want you to know is that when Jesus died, he died to make a payment for your sin. He took the penalty on himself. He gives eternal life as a free gift, and it's accepted by faith. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, what would stop you from doing that today? If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you understand this is not about heaven and hell. This is about the life that we live now. And if you search your heart, you know. You know what it is that you're struggling with. You, you probably already know what some of the way escape of escape is. And 
honestly, you've wanted to tackle this. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself. I thank you for this promise that no temptation that we experience is going to be anything but common. And that with that temptation, you have already provided a way of escape that we could bear up under it and have victory. And so, Lord, I pray that the warning that Paul has shared with the Corinthians would ring in our our minds. Not fear of damnation, but a fear of being sidelined and no longer being usable to you. We want so much to walk with you and work with you and learn to get to know you and become more like you. We want to be used by you. So remind us that if we're tempted to think that we have it together, that we're good to go, that we might want to be careful. And instead, Lord, remind us that as we are tempted, that we can and should look for that way of escape. And probably the beginning of that will be to reach out to a brother or a sister that we trust, to let them know what's going on and join with them, asking them to pray for us that we would find that way out. God, as we enter, starting next week, a a new phase in the life of this church, I pray that we would be people who are learning to exercise self-discipline so that we use everything that we have to accomplish your kingdom's purposes. Cause us to be people who reflect your character. I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.